You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hey, y'all, it's Bridget here. Welcome back to another thought-provoking and impactful episode of Served Up. Today, we are honored to have two exceptional guests joining us, Kamal Carter and Kyle Williams. These two remarkable individuals have embarked on a mission that is nothing short of revolutionary, a mission to create change through their powerful program, A Long Talk. Kamal and Kyle are not just ordinary activists. They're anti-racism warriors, two fathers who have taken it upon themselves to address the uncomfortable truth that lies at the heart of our society. As Black fathers, they understand the urgency of dismantling systemic racism and are committed to sparking transformation through open, constructive, and reflective conversations. So listeners, get ready for an enlightening and empowering conversation as we dive deep into the story behind A Long Talk with Kamal Carter and Kyle Williams. Join us as we explore their vision, the impact of their work, and the transformative conversations that are shaping a new narrative in the fight against racism. So sit back, relax, grab yourself your favorite cocktail and enjoy this very important served up episode. Kamal and Kyle, I am so excited to have you on served up today. Thank you both for coming to our show. Thank you for having us. Excited. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kamal, I'm going to start with you. Can you tell our listeners just a bit about your background? So um, it's kind of interesting because my my background has taken a lot of turns. I mean, when I was in college, originally, my goal was to become a a physician, a medical doctor. And that quickly turned where um, I just realized that I didn't want to start my life at like 35 after residency and all the medical school. And I, I wanted to to serve and have an impact now. So um got into two medical schools, full scholarships, an MD PhD program, another one. I just said, you know what? I'm done. I'm gonna go just I'm gonna go change the world now. And so took took some time, thought what could I do, applied my science mind to business and did a lot of consulting with high net worth individuals. And then I'm like, wait a minute, what am I doing helping wealthy people? A lot of people I work with, the heart was missing. And so I just start to serve and, and, and volunteer, make an impact in the community. So that's, that's a, a long, a short story to a long story. Wow. That's beautiful. Kyle, can you do the same? Give us a bit about your background and what you're doing today. Um, wow. I guess it all, it all kind of connects. I was, I was born in, I, well, I'm from the birthplace of P-Funk Plainfield, New Jersey. All right. And so I grew up with a, with a spirit of, um, of really a spirit of empowerment. I think Plainfield really taught me a lot, just kind of growing up but as I led that, I became a teacher. My parents are educators. My grandparents are educators. I kind of ran from education and then eventually uh, became an educator in the D.C. area, really for the last 25 years, working in education, raising three boys, 
um, and really just always been a type of person that wanted to be able to uh, speak the truth. I think the truth for me has always been something I was able to lean on growing up. And, um, you know, I learned a lot of truth. So I think for me, it leads right into what we're able to do now. And by being able to educate people, speak the truth and really be able to meet and connect with great people that really want to get on the, get on the right side of history when it comes to the things that we're talking about. So uh, can I add this too, because you, you reminded me just of, of beyond, and, and we'll share how we met and stuff, but the education piece is very important. And, and, and I feel like I left that out. You know, when I was working with very wealthy individuals, I reached a point where I said service and, and, and I want to serve my community and I want to, to do something to, to kind of just right the wrongs. Or, or, and so I literally left Rodeo Drive with a client, flew back to Atlanta, Georgia, and I, and I asked someone, put me in the most under-resourced school in Atlanta, Georgia, and I want to make an impact. And so I just started teaching as well and started after school nonprofit with, with college access. But it was it was the spirit, like hearing Kyle say education. You're talking to two black men who are educators, but who have always been. We were born, like Kyle said, the birthplace of P-Funk, George Clinton, Plainfield, New Jersey. I grew up in Tuskegee, Alabama before moving to Atlanta. My grandfather was a Tuskegee Airman. My mother was an educator. We took two generations of educators here on the phone. and it was important to make a difference. So I, I did want to share that. Well, let's, you know, let's start from there. And I'm going to stick with you, Kamal, for just a moment. Can you tell us really the inspiration behind starting a long talk and how its mission to put anti-racist at every dinner table in America came about? Absolutely. When George Floyd was murdered, the summer of 2020, I'm sitting here in Atlanta. We're all sheltering in place. And, and I, I'm, I have a 13-year-old. My youngest daughter is 13. And I'm trying to make sense. Like, how do I help her understand? But how do I get these emotions? And how do I affect change? And so I literally pick up the phone and call my friend. But I really can't say friend, my brother. We went to college together. Kyle and I met in college. And, and, and it's important for everyone to understand this was not scripted. We didn't plan this years ago and say, hey, we're going to start and we're going to go out and, and teach anti-racism and 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 and, and end racism. That, that wasn't it. This this was literally two black fathers. I called Kyle and I said, how are you processing? What are you telling your teenage son? What, 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 what can we do now? I don't want to wait and say we have to wait for hundreds of years for change. We can do something. And so I'll, I'll turn over to Kyle because literally he had already started. It was an incident happened and he had kind of started designing a long time. But I'll, I'll let him share the, the next piece because I called him. You know how you call a friend for advice, but console or just I, I think we all can relate to that. There's people in your lives who you you share special moments, you know, births, marriages, ceremonies, like life events. And this is my brother now that I met in college. And so I called him to make sense of this. But also I want to do something. Now, when I, and when I, when Kamal called me, I just had an incident. I have three sons, Kamal, you know, Kamal's daughters. I have sons and uh, my sons I have two college age sons and one in high school. And so at the time, um, my two college age sons, when when this incident happened with George Floyd, they wanted to go to the protest. We live in D.C. I live 20 minutes from the White House. They were going to go to the White House. Their mother kind of didn't want them to go <laughs> because it was covid and rubber bullets and flashbangs. It was kind of wild. So she asked me to go be their bodyguard, kind of protect them. And so I go down to the White House with them and my sons are six, five. I'm five, 11. So I'm like the five, 11 bodyguard protecting them. But I'm really just there as their eyes and their ears. because There's a lot going on. 
And as we spent five, about five hours out there, um, you felt every emotion. It was empowering. It was, it was, I mean, it was powerful. It was passionate. It was dangerous. It was, it was, you know, spontaneous, a lot of stuff going on. And as we were driving home, we were kind of quiet. As we got close to the house, my son, Elijah, just broke the silence just by going off and cursing in the backseat, like just going off. I thought something else terrible had happened at the White House. I didn't know what had happened. I was almost afraid to ask. And, you know, when he when I when I asked him what was going on, we were pulling up in the driveway and he shows me on his phone that his uh, the captain of his basketball team, he played basketball at Gettysburg College. He was a freshman, his senior white captain on his team had been reposting Tucker Carlson and Fox News links under everything that my son had shared that day. Come and, on. you know, people have the right to watch whatever they want. It's not about who you watch or what you believe. But when you reach out to someone that's supposed to be like on your team, it just something's not right. And so my son kind of asked him a question like, you know, what are you talking about? Because he was really confused. This was no this was not an ongoing beef. They had never talked about stuff like this before. They just played basketball. So for whatever reason, at this moment, um, you know, when he replies like that, this kid, you know, my son asked him and the kid doubles down and says, uh, you know, texts him back and says, be careful with the looters, bro. We need you at practice. So at that point, my son knew what time it was. My son got angry. And so he starts to text the kid back. And I'm a little bit of an old school dad. So I was like, stop texting and call him. Like, if it's a problem, just call him. He picks up the phone and he FaceTimes him. And within two minutes, it turns into a FaceTime fight like a brand new feature on your iPhone. <laughs> People didn't know. Like it, it, they really started going at it for about, and, I, and so finally this kid is just tripling down and my sons just aren't having it. Like we just spent five hours at the protest. Like we're not coming home to this. You're not, like they were just not, it was the wrong day. It was just really the wrong day. And this kid was tripling down and my sons were just not having it. And finally my oldest son just looked into the phone and told this kid on site when I see you, be ready to defend yourself and just hung up to the phone. And at the moment, I wasn't going to stop any of that. That needed to be handled exactly the way it was being handled. But I thought about the coach who was stuck in the middle of that argument and didn't even know about it because the next day, those two kids were going to be back on a Zoom call with the whole team. And I knew my son was going to show up with the same energy and have questions for everybody. So I wanted the coach to be prepared. I was like, coach, you should probably call me before you have this call tomorrow because it's not going to go the way you think it's going to go. It's not that you don't have a plan for this. What's about to happen? And I said, call me tomorrow. Because I, I had just spent five hours protesting. I had just spent an hour with my sons. Dealing, I, I like BJ Dunn. He's, I like this white man. But if he called me back and said the wrong thing in that moment, I was going to be right where my sons were. And I wasn't trying to hear him try to defend this kid. I really wasn't ready to talk to him. So when I told him to call me tomorrow, of course, he calls me right back. <laughs> and so I finally decided to pick up the phone after letting it ring. And he starts, um, you know, talking about George Floyd. And I said, Coach, I'm not mad about George Floyd. Like, I'm numb, if anything else, about George Floyd, right? I, I said, Coach, I'm mad about the 400 years that have led up to George Floyd. I'm mad about the fact that over the next 30 days, there's going to be another George Floyd. And you're not even going to know his name. And I'm mad because as a white man, I don't think you're going to do anything about this anyway. So do you still want to talk to me? And in that moment, instead of him getting scared or him you know, getting offended or running away, changing the subject, he actually leaned into a conversation by asking some questions. So I tried to explain to this man for about 10 minutes, my pain, my anger, my frustration, my lack of expectation, this history, my fear for my child. Because I literally, I'm like, coach, you sat on my couch and told me 
that my son was going to be safe at your school. But you picked the white supremacist as a captain. Like, what's going on? And I, in that moment, talking to this man, I realized that after about 10 minutes, I realized he, he did get it. He, he knew there was a problem. He recognized the problem. I also realized he cared about my kid. I did. But I also figured out very quickly and very clearly that he had no idea what I was talking about when it came to these, this history. These, he was clueless about what I was trying to explain, this, this level, this depth. He was clueless. And so when I got off the phone with him, I just kind of thanked him for letting me talk. We didn't really, you know, it was kind of it. And the next day he texted me asking me a question about redlining or something I had said. And I was like, coach, you can Google that. Like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I said, but I do have a video. Like if you, I have this video called the history of race in America. A friend of mine had just sent it to me. And I said, coach, if you watch this video, we can, we can talk all day. He watches the video and I immediately saw him turn into an activated anti-racist by getting some information to match his empathy and action started to occur. And that was the beginning of it. You know, the story just as he continued to work and the word continued to spread. And next thing you know, we're having a conversation with 107 college basketball coaches around the country because people started to get the word really quickly. About three weeks after I talked to that first guy, we had a call with everybody. And so it kind of got started there. But, but it, I, w- I want to make sure that as people see us now on a website and in different locations, this started with a conversation between two men that immediately and some information was shared to, again, match the empathy that he already had. And now it's, it's, this is a war on ignorance that we're leading. I know I'm going along with this question, but this is a war on ignorance. And so a lot of times people want to know what we're doing. We are looking to educate to end, to end hate because there are a lot of good people that I didn't know were out here, to be quite honest with you, that are we're connecting the dots with, that really want to get on the right side of history mm-hmm. to understand this stuff and then figure out what we can do instead of just sitting idly by. So that's the long and the story of the short of it. But what we're doing is not, we don't do trainings or we don't do webinar workshops. We send out invitations to people that want to join a movement that's already starting across this country over the last three years. From that one conversation to now over 13,000 people all across this nation, some overseas, have begun to have this conversation with us. So I get a little excited about it. It's a, it's a very personal um, story for me. It's a very it's personal work. It's mission work. But my, my kids hire me for this. So I come to work every day. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, you're showing up for your kids, but you're, you're also showing up for change. And without absolutely. the conversation, change is not possible. Absolutely. It's not possible. This story is absolutely incredible. Um, come on, I'm going to flip it back over to you. So once um, Kyle, you know, had the conversation with a coach and it started to go viral with, with more college coaches, um, how did then, did you officially really form a long talk? Where did it go from there? Because from my understanding, you've also spoken to churches and other types of organizations outside of sports. Yeah, so very interesting and in, in how it kind of evolved. When Kyle and I had that first initial conversation, he shared with me the incident with his sons and, and, and just everything that had taken place. For us, you have to realize a long talk would not have had existed had that coach not been receptive. And a lot of times what we find when, when you're, you're working in, 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 in social justice and a lot of times black and brown people are saying, hey, let's attack this problem, but there's a lack of representation from other cultures. Typically it's just black and brown people. 
So if BJ Dunn had not listened to Collins and I'm interested, but more importantly, started taking action, a long talk wouldn't exist. So the minute BJ, it clicked in with BJ, I said, Kyle, this is, this is, do you understand what's happening? It's not just the fact that, that Breonna Taylor was murdered and Ahmaud Aubrey and George Floyd. This is a moment where you have a, a coach who's in position who wants to do something. And he's, he's, he's saying, I don't know. I want to learn, but I'm going to act. And so Kyle was like, you know what? Wait a minute. His other son was playing basketball at UPenn at the University of Pennsylvania. And he's like, you know what? Let me see. Because if that video could really change and activate people, let me see what the Ivies think of this. He sent that video to the, uh, to, to the coaching staff at UPenn. And Nat Graham, one of the assistant coaches, starts writing five or six articles in the medium. The time is now. And, and so we witnessed two different incidents where people were activated. So now think, think about this. Individuals who, has, who have dedicated their lives to change, you're starting to see traction from communities that can engage or disengage. And so with Kyle being a, a principal in the D.C. area and having worked in, 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 and been a volunteer in an um, incredible um, program that, that's put a lot of students, um, student athletes in the pros and at, at, at major institutions, that's how that first call went out because Kyle said, now I feel like my sons are safe. Now we have to make it safe for other people's sons. So you had, now Kyle was being very modest on that. Now this is a a Zoom call. These coaches don't know these two fathers. You have 120 coaches, $70 million in salaries. ESPN showed up. Grant Hill was the moderator. So this this is how the explosion, you want to know how a long time, and, and they called that process was supposed to only happen one time. With Kyle and I being educators, like, you know, we've designed an adult learning um, cycle of pedagogy around anti-racism. It's never been done where we can invite everyone in. We can learn, like Kyle said, educate to end hate. But the most important thing is to do something. This is not a training. Like you said, it's not a webinar. We need coaches to come here. With, I mean, the entire staff of, of, of Villanova, Bayheim, Syracuse, like these are legendary, iconic coaches getting on. We're listening and we're problem solving, making these campus safer, safer, not just for their student athletes, for student athletes across the board and across their campuses. So that was a spark. It was supposed to, that Bridget, that was it. The call was set up. It was ended. Then people started calling back. You wouldn't believe this. Women's basketball coaches. I mean, you had that first call, Michigan, Ohio, like dude, there were so many major programs on that call then the women's basketball coaches said can you do the same thing for us then we had other sports um and other schools that that called and and, and these coaches went back and they told their their the soccer team the 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 lacrosse team the crew rowing i mean it just kept going and it it's it's built out to to alumni and and so you can imagine that mushrooming effect people we, mm-hmm. we couldn't stop having this conversation and so Eventually, though, three months in, or two and a half months in, the Aspen Institute reached out to us. And in a slot where Kobe Bryant and Michelle Obama have been former speakers, they had heard about this transformational conversation because I don't know. I, I, I do want to mention this. It, it was it was different the way that that the process works. And we'll talk about our process. But it's almost like you all have been the many people have been the Broadway plays before. I remember taking my daughter and my wife, we, uh, our, our youngest daughter, we went to go see Matilda. And it was always amazing. But when Hamilton, if you think about when Hamilton first came out, the way it was written, the way it was performed, it caused a visceral reaction. People started telling people it was selling out for years. It was 
it was unbelievable. And finally it came out on streaming and people, everyone could see it, but it was amazing. That's what this conversation was. It was the Hamilton effect because most people show up, oh, I'm going to a DEI. We're not even DEI, we're anti-racism activation. But that's the lens. I'm going to this training. I don't want to hear about it. It's going to be slides. They're going to make me uncomfortable. No, people left there fired up. And so the Aspen Institute heard, hey, you guys, can you speak? And then that's how U.S. Rowing, USA Lacrosse, we went, I mean, it was unbelievable. The platform at at the Aspen Institute's, um, it was virtual because of COVID, but and then we went to churches, people referred nonprofits, K through 12 school districts, and finally Wall Street. I mean, here you have the head of, of think about America's Wall Street, I mean, Deutsche Bank Investments, hmm. and the head of their corporate banking. We're two Black fathers with a, 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 a conversation. We're not a big conglomerate company with marketing. He said, I heard about your conversation. Can you come to Wall Street? This is after the vaccines came out in, in 2021. And here we are working with C-suite execs because they're like, we want something that's going to push us, but we want to be held accountable and we want to take action. So that's it. Kind, Kyle likes to say we're like water. We just kind of go when we work with the willing and people refer us after having this experience and enjoying our movement. And so we have Kyle had no business flying out to the middle of Iowa to speak to 70 Catholic priests. He landed and drove two hours inland, but someone was so moved. They're like, you need to come to I don't, what part of Iowa was that? I don't even know. I was in, a, um, in Storm Lake, Iowa. Storm Lake, Iowa. So that's how we, it's, it's strictly word of mouth and impact in people's hearts saying you got to, you got to engage in this. Yeah. Engagement and action and accountability. You know, I think accountability is such a word of strength. Because so many corporations came out of COVID during COVID and even recently with like blanket statements on, you know, their commitment to anti-racism, maybe to a few programs that they have within their companies, more of anything, just making a statement, but then you don't see a lot of action behind the scenes. And so I'm going to throw this one over to Kyle because I want to understand better the concept of the anti-racist activation experience. Could you really elaborate on what this experience is? What does it entail? But most importantly, Kyle, you know, how does it uh, really contribute to the mission of eradicating racism and dismantling the systemic oppression? Yeah. Most people don't know the depth of what has actually happened in America historically. Right. And so because we don't know the depth to which um, we've been pushed in one direction, they can't understand how much push we have to make in the opposite direction to get us back to a place of health, right? And so when you think about anti-racism activation, we're not looking to, a lot of people want to fight racism at the front where people are saying racist things, right? Where people are with, to fight the races. I'm trying to change these racist people to make them feel different. We believe the battle is in the middle. We believe it's about the non-racist. It's about the people that are just around it. I mean, I do the good, the good people amongst us who just don't know what to say, don't know what to do. So we need to take those people and activate them to get them on the right side of history from being non-racist to being active anti-racist so they don't let the joke just pass by at the table. That's what we talk about having a person at every dinner table that you just can't say the normalcy of racism and it just fly by or sexism or homophobia. We deal with ignorance on every level. So for us, we realize that that's a transformation. You have to actually go from being one person at the dinner table one night and then go through something that makes you a different person at that dinner table. And that's not easy. So it's not going to just happen from a, a conversation or a movie or so it has to be an experience. It has to be something that you go through. And so our experience really goes over the course of 
really over the course of a month, if you think of it this way, because there's pre-work that's involved in joining our conversation. See that video that I sent to those coaches? That's the litmus test if you're going to be engaged by this, because we actually give you have to watch that video to get the link to join us on Zoom. Or even when we come live in person, you have to watch that video and do what we call our pre-work. You have to answer some questions about these different pieces that we're going to give you. We're going to give you some material to prepare for the conversation that we want you to deal with before you even join the conversation to, to get to get a little uncomfortable on your own, to be in a comfortable space, to get uncomfortable. This is an uncomfortable conversation, right? So we want you to go through some of that historical piece on your own before you get there and just share some information with us. We, we ask questions and then people even introduce themselves in a virtual space. So when you come to the call, you may not know everybody, but we kind of build that community. So two weeks before we even get have that first conversation, you've begun the experience by getting in, engaged in the content. When you come to the conversation, our, our sessions are, our, our, our sessions are, are set up as two two hour sessions and they're usually about a week apart. We like to give people time in between one, there's some pre-work to do for the second session, but also we want to give you some time to digest it. This is a heavy lift. We're going to give you real history that you, it's going to be upset, upsetting to you. And if you do know this stuff, but we're going to talk about what's really happened in America so we can understand what these, these currents that still, that still run with this. So on, on the second session, after the, the first one with the uh, history unload or uh, download on the second session, we actually teach a skill. It's called the CPR protocol literally able to teach a skill that people are able to use the next time they hear racism or see they can interrupt it. We just want people to interrupt it. Just make it not normal by asking some questions, by using this CPR protocol. And we go into breakout sessions while we're going through the experience. You're going to meet with three, two other people. You're going to practice role play scenarios. You're going to actually gain this muscle. If you, if you only practice for one time in your life, you're going to get 15 minutes. You're going to be able to leave our conversation. The next time somebody makes a racist joke, the next time somebody says something homophobic, You'll have the skills and the confidence to be able to address that and just interrupt it. We're not necessarily trying to change everybody. We're trying to change our spaces. Are we just trying to make sure, hey, you can't say that kind of stuff. Here. I'm a, I, got a, I got a skill set to deal with that. And not in a conference. I'm not trying to get in the fight. We actually teach you how to deal with that. And I'm very much non-emotional, critical thinking type of conversation. Um, and then what we want to do is we make sure as we leave that conversation that two things happen. One, people know they got to go do something now. Like, we're not really trying to just get a bunch of people to say, I just didn't know that about our history. Wow, that's not what we're doing. What are we going to go do now that we know? Like, you know better, so now we do better. That's pretty much the concept. When people are finished our four hours, though, together, they actually are are just beginning the journey because everyone that comes through a long talk is connected to our, our, we call it our long talk universe. We have an online platform, a space where everyone comes into the experience to get all the materials. Now you can stay there and connect with other people that have gone through it with other organizations or other other different um, communities um, and be able to interact and share resources, plan and activate. It's literally a place for people to come. We, we, we think of it almost like we want to build like an, an anti-racist Facebook without the ads and without Zuckerberg, but a space that people can come and connect the dots to. Because that's what we're looking to do is create a movement that spans across this country. It's never been done before. We've actually had an anti-racist movement in America. We've done some things progressively, but we've never taught from the core how we all as individual American citizens fight this. And that's what we're looking to do to create. When people finish, I need you to be able to get on the front lines and go to work. So come, come, come through that experience with us. People are coming out as, as not changed individuals, just with a different mindset, a different perspective. Again, it's just about knowing better to do better, right? Once you see something like, wow, I didn't, I didn't know that. I get that. I can do something. Let me go do something. 
Like it's not rocket science. No, it is being a good human. Is what Absolutely. It is. Absolutely. Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, it's really stepping in and stepping up and just being a good human. But sometimes that's the boldest thing that you can do and the most uncomfortable thing that you can do. So the fact that you're opening up your space to make, you know, people uncomfortable, that's okay. You know, I don't think that we should be so comfortable with these topics and with these conversations. I think being uncomfortable is okay. And being bold is good. Um, I would love to flip this back over to Kamal for a second and just talk about some of the barriers really that in your perspective that folks have when they're having these conversations, um, whether it's individuals or communities that really want to engage and be open and honest, what are some of the barriers that you see them coming up against? I think the barrier, the, the biggest barrier is probably in their head. And, and I will say this, Bridget, our community is 99% white, which is, which is unique. It's designed for people who are not, who people who are not people of color, right? So what's interesting is that you think about it like this. I've had a muscle. I've had to work out all my life to fight any type of injustice, racism. When I see things, I could go to the grocery store and, and experience something like on a daily basis. So I've, I've been exercising when the fight. Our community members, many of them have been in environments where everyone else looks like them. Or maybe this is their first time seeing this. And so it might get tough if I hear my Uncle Bob is saying something and I really don't want to mess up the mood. I have to have the courage to be a good human to say, look, that statement, that problematic statement, if you're talking, saying hateful things against the Asian American Pacific Islander community, if you're saying hateful things, sexist comments, I should be able to say, wait a minute. I should be able to interrupt that and not worry about, it's almost like the, the, one of the biggest things we find is just having the courage to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step up and, and do something just like anti-bullying. We have a lot of people receive training, especially younger generations like my daughter's age, ages. They, it's, it's, it's almost a norm, but there's no anti-racism norm. We just let people that people yell and say all kinds of things. And in the past eight years, it's just gone crazy where people just say anything now. But there has to be some type of interruption. So I would say, and Kyle might, might piggyback on this, but the biggest thing we've seen, because imagine it's our, our company is Black-led, Black-owned, and, and here you have people on a Zoom call or in person where our audiences are, are, are 99% white. And they're like, wait a minute, I need this to let this wall down. And we, we say this, progress over perfection. We've been, we have to, I have to decide if I'm a battle, if someone makes a statement about my daughter's hair, we, I, we come home from school, it could be a normal day and, and I know what I have to do and I'm, I'm prepared. But the person who's in that practice session or the person who's who's learning this information has to make a decision. And I think that's the biggest thing is coming out your comfort zone. If you, if you look at it like this, our movement is about, it's almost like helping people get the lens to see injustice and, and, and step up. And like you said, Bridget, be a good human. It's like first people may start off with, with glasses. They got the information. They see, oh my gosh, this is, this is, I, I need to do something. Then they go to contact lenses and they put the contact lenses and they can see them. But then they, you know, just like glasses, you can take them off or maybe you can take the contacts out. We want to move to the LASIK surgery. where When you hear and see harm and hate, you understand how to interrupt it. And so, but it takes courage. And Kyle, would you say that's one of the, I mean, our, our barriers, because most of the people we meet, they, they, they're, they're curious. They want to learn like Kyle said, they're in neutral. We're not trying to battle 
you know, the, the, the Klansmen on top of Stone Mountain with a pitchfork and no teeth waving a Confederate flag and, flag and a onesies. I mean, uh, not a, what is it? A, a overalls. I'm sorry, bro. So I'm, Same thing. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. But so Kyle, would you say, I don't, Barry, I mean. I, I think, you know, the interesting thing is, I said it a little earlier, and this, the biggest, the, the biggest barrier we have to fixing these issues is ignorance. You see, and that ignorance then decides we, we, we run into other, other barriers, other things people don't want, to, don't want to do out of fear. They stop. But really, as I said, this is a war on ignorance. When BJ Dunn first saw that video, he didn't just become a, a better person. He was already a good person, but he had just been intentionally made ignorant about something that he could have cared about, that he actually did care about. Like BJ had a long history around being around black people. He recruited black family. Like BJ was, I didn't suspect they say racist bone in his body. When I met him, I trusted my son to go to him. But he also didn't have an anti-racist bone in his body because like Kamal said, that's a muscle many of us have to flex every day regardless. There's no representation for white people to be heroes in this, in this space. I ask people all the time I, on our calls, I said, name the greatest white civil rights hero you learned about in school. Like there's no representation matters. So if you weren't taught about, you're, you're ignorant to even the possibility that you can even do something about this. So the fact that people are intentionally ignorant, and I say intentionally because someone decided your K through 12 curriculum and didn't teach you about redlining, didn't teach you about the Tulsa race massacres, didn't teach you about reconstruction era at all, didn't teach you about Jim Crow, didn't teach you about all these things that just didn't just go civil war, end of slavery, Harriet Tubman, Barack Obama. It didn't just, you know, it wasn't just those major events. It was a whole string of stuff. And if you don't understand that, you can't, you can't, you can't fight an enemy you can't see. So to what Kamal was saying about the eyesight, but it's not even just visual sight. It's literally being stuck in ignorance that you can't see it right in front of you. So what we do is pull back that veil. The, the first, the first uncomfortable is the peeling back of the curtain. And be like, this is what America is like for real. And it's not to, it's not, not to hate America. It's the most American thing I've ever done. You know, it I, really, it really is. I want to stick with you, Kyle, for just a moment, because you know, that really brings us up to the current political climate that we have going on today. And I won't get into politics so much today, but we all know that it's very explosive and so many hateful things going on, especially in states like Florida, for instance. Um, I just want to talk to you just a bit about, you know, how are you staying adaptable and responsive really to these evolving perspectives and these continued challenges in this fight um, in, in inequality? I say all the time, you know, you say adapting and changing. We're never going to go out of business until we put them out of business. White supremacy is going to rear its head every single day. And whether it's somebody at a podium in, Cal in, in, in Florida, whether it's, you know, on a, on, on a dock in, 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 in Montgomery, Alabama, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter. Like, wherever it is, it's going to. So for us, you know, it's, it's the, like this 2024 cycle is about to come around again. People are nervous. They're scared. And again, we don't, the politics to me don't matter because politically, politically, historically, both parties have put me right where I am today. So there, so for me, it doesn't matter on that side, but what's about to happen when this country gets drummed up again, is this going to be right in our faces again? And people have to choose every single day. I'm going to either walk past that, that ignorance and that hate, or I'm going to choose to push back against it. Declare, like, I like the fact that I believe we have white supremacy on the ropes, to be quite honest with you. I think 
I, and I, I'm again, this is because it's not political. It's about for me, that is the politics of America, white supremacy. The parties have switched and they interplay together today. So that's not even a, a thing. But the, the fact that it's on Front Street, the fact that it's full blast, I just want people to decide. See, all we're talking about with, with what we're doing is I just don't want people to be able to be able to be ignorant anymore. Like learn what's really going on so you can make a choice. Because right now it's time in America to make a choice, whether that's politically, historically, whatever. It's time to make a choice. And I just want people to be as well informed as possible when they make those choices, because we've been set up to be uninformed. Our schools don't teach us. No one teaches us how to talk about this stuff. You know, it's, it's and that's intentional. There's reason there's reasons people that, that benefit from us not being able to have this conversation. So, yeah, I, I think for us. What's about to happen in this country? Because trust and believe it's going to it's it's about to happen. Like I tell come all the time, no matter what go, no matter what happens in that courtroom and what happens politically over the next 18 months, this country is about to go through some things. Yeah, I, be- I believe you 110 percent. Just oh, my gosh. Yeah. Absolutely. Come on. I see you kind of itching over there to respond, I think, to this as well, <laughs> because it's so because, you know, yeah. when you think about when you anti-CRT, when you think about these school board meetings, Bridget, in our lifetime, we have never, book banning, we, that was from the, like, can you, I can't fathom that. Can you, like, so for us, when Kyle says, we believe that white supremacy is on the ropes, they panicked in the summer of 2020. When you saw 25 million people take to the streets, when they heard a man call out for his dead mama, around this there's never been a global protest and the majority of people did not look like me and Kyle so that is when the think tanks and the strategists had to come back we need to there is no plan for white people dismantling white supremacy they see me and Kyle coming all day long but when you have white children and white adults getting together and connecting with black and brown folks saying we can end this that was scary to the status quo so now we have to create this CRT boogeyman that's being taught. It's not even being taught. We have to create all these different things. And, and slavery was a benefit. I mean, we're saying blatant stuff that's, it's not even humanly. It's like saying the sky is purple and, and trying to really push people there because Paul says it all the time. It's the empathy. They're not worried about white kids feeling guilty, learning about our history. They're worried about kids caring and saying, I'm going to change this. I'm going to make sure we we it doesn't happen anymore, that we fix things that we. So I want to share that point. And, and we're seeing all these things that are almost we couldn't even fathom them 10, 15, 20 years ago. You can ban Anne Frank. When I read Anne Frank, I cried as a little kid. It it moved. How, how can you ban Anne Frank? Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. We did a campaign um, around banned books. This topic really hits home. Uh, big time. Um, when we did the, we were giving away just like a banned book a week, everything from To Kill a Mockingbird to Where the Sidewalk Ends to Stamped um, to All Boys Are Blue. And you wouldn't believe the hate mail in my inbox from a book, from a book. And this is as recent as what, three weeks ago. So when we talk about hate and we talk about change and having the conversations, you know, this is something that's not going to happen overnight. But I do very much believe that the more people join your movement and speak up 
and to put that brave foot forward, you know, maybe in the future, we won't be talking about banning Anne Frank, Diary of Anne Frank, or having topics like slavery banned in schools or changing the narrative of it. So the conversations must happen. And, you know, I would love to hear, and I think I'm going to flip it back over to Kyle, really, how can folks get involved in this conversation? Where can they find you all? Well, the first thing is you can, anyone in the world can go to our website at alongtalk.com and actually register for one of our community, a free open to the public community conversation. We do this every single month while we work, do all the work that we do with the organizations and the teams and corporations. But every single month, actually, tonight is, we're already doing it, seven o'clock for this month. Um, but any, 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 um, anyone can go do that. Um, but more importantly, if this, is, if this is something that you want to bring into the space that you have, you can do that for your individual space. We are on a mission to connect as many dots as possible. And many people that we've been able to talk to come through our community conversation and they take us to their, you know, their job or their whatever space they are to be able to have a wider part of this conversation. That's how we got to all the schools and the churches because somebody told somebody. Like literally, our, our, you asked that question earlier, every place we've gone to, we've been led there by someone who's a part of that community, one way or the other. We don't advertise. We're not, you know, literally it's just word, it's been word of mouth. So, so for us, as we've been able to just to grow that, we just want to make sure that anyone who wants to be a part of this conversation can be. So like I said, you can go to our website, you can contact us, we can we'll take meetings. We do this 24-7, 365. White supremacy does not take a day off and neither do we. All right. All right. Kamal, what does the future of a long talk look like? I, I believe the future of a long talk is, well, let me say this. We have a 15-year game plan to end racism, or at least to push it outside. It's been normalized. It used to be, if those of you who know these old TVs that had antennas and static, that was racism. It was staticky. Now it's in high definition. It's in 4K, maybe even 7K, and that even exists. Our goal is in 15 years to make it uncomfortable. You can't say that at my bar. You can't say that in my corporation. This type of hate is not allowed in my library, wherever I, my school board meeting, in my schools, in the soccer team, in my place of worship. And our future is, is we believe that we're going to build a nation of anti-racists. We're going to go from thousands to millions of individuals who are activated in the spaces they're in. I'm caught on if, if you the smoke. I mean, I, I think that's the smoker yeah. example is a this this is this clearly states it. And I'll, sure give you, I'll give you, I can give you two quick ones and you we can you go with however you want to go with it. But someone just said to me the other day about how you know these fires were burning in Canada, right? And the fires are burning in Canada was making the air quality poor. And the kids were coming outside and they were complaining because they couldn't run around, couldn't do this. So one of the older people said, he said these, he said he just realized he's like, these kids have no idea what smog is. Because when I was growing up in the 70s, while it was still more in L.A., but smog was a real thing. But long story short, there was a fringe movement that started in the late 50s that got the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act passed and and, and the Nixon administration, which literally now children today don't even know what it's like to have this, this type of poor air quality. So the future for us is to make a world like that around racism. So when Kamal talks about, you know, eradicating racism in the next 15 years, and I know that sounds kind of crazy to some of your listeners because. That just doesn't make any sense, right? How do you do that? Well, we just use this analogy like this because we've done this before in this country. See, many people don't remember, or there's another dirty secret about American history, but it used to be perfectly normal to smoke cigarettes on airplanes. 
Like we, you could smoke cigarettes wherever you wanted because, and we didn't think anything of it. It was the coolest thing to do. We thought it was Americana. It was normal to have parents and priests and coaches and preachers, everybody smoking cigarettes. And for a while, we didn't care at all. It was a cool thing to do. And then those people started getting sick. And we said, you know what? Those cigarettes, you might want to stop smoking those cigarettes. But the rest of the people that didn't smoke, the non-smokers were like, doesn't bother me. It's America. You got to right, do whatever you want to do. Keep smoking. I'll sit right next to you at the cubicle. I'll fly across the country sitting right next to you if you want to smoke. No problem. And then the science started catching up to us because the people that were sitting next to the people who were getting sick, they started getting sick too. And we realized we had a national crisis because we had let everybody smoke cigarettes without thinking how harmful it was to everybody else. And it was literally killing the children of the parents who were growing up with that cigarette smoke in the household. And we didn't just say as a country, well, hopefully the next generation will get better. We can just depend on some progress. We didn't say that. We, we launched an emergency action plan. So the first thing we did was we re-educated America. We told everybody big tobacco lied to you. They set you up. We told them the truth. This stuff is going to kill you. Put a sticker on the box. This is going to kill you and everybody around you. And millions of people stopped smoking cigarettes because when you know better, you do better. Other people didn't want to stop. So what did we do? We raised the prices on them. We made it cost them something more. It became more costly for them. Some people couldn't afford it and they stopped. Other people wanted to keep telling, keep smoking and keep doing what they wanted to do. And we said, okay, that's fine. You can keep smoking. It's America, but you got to take that shit outside. See, you can't do that around us anymore. And we just have to be courageous enough to do the same thing with racism. We have to first re-educate America. You've been lied to. Like everything that people believe about race and racism in America, pretty much all of that is based on a false narrative, mm-hmm. false histories, left out, all kinds of stuff. So we got to first re-educate. Millions of people will figure this out with a video. They'll watch that video like, BJ, I get it. I, what is, that was crazy. I got to do something. Millions of people like that. Other people going to want to keep telling their jokes. That's fine. It just has to cost them something. Mm-hmm. Might cost them their job. Might cost them their, their leadership at the church. Might cost you a friendship. I just don't want to deal with you with those ideas anymore. It's going to be costly to get you out of here. Other people might want to pay the cost, but we could tell them, you got to take it somewhere else. This is, you can't tell that joke at this bar. That's, you want, the, oh, you want that bar. That's down the block. They allow that over there. And what will happen is people will feel even more comfortable because now it's not just the racist joke. It's the sexist joke, the homophobic joke, the anti-Semitic joke. And now you got a place in a bar and a restaurant where everybody can come and be themselves and enjoy the spirits, the food, whatever, the atmosphere. And not have to worry about that bar up the block. And it's OK. Let the police circle that block because that's where all the evil stuff, all the hate's going to happen over there. Let just leave us alone. We have the right to claim non-ignorant zones, just like we did non-smoking zones. And that way we can save our children to walk up and be like, yeah, we don't do that here because I have this skill my mother taught me because she learned it from her mother that this is how we fight racism. We've never had that before in America. So that's what we're doing. That's the mission that we're on. So join us at A Long Talk. Come check us out and uh, let's do it together. On social media at A Long Talk 2020, A Long Talk 2020. I want to leave you both with this. Um, I want to hear from you both. On, on this, what is one thing that one of our listeners can do today if they're listening to this conversation today and they get that light bulb moment like, okay, okay, I can do this. What do you recommend that they do? You, you know, when I get asked that question, I have no idea what they can do. 
just do something. Mm-hmm. See, people, remember I went back to representation? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times people that, that have positions of privilege or platform of authority, they've never seen anyone lead them in this direction before. They've only seen them become more capitalistic or more individualistic because that's what success is built on. So the more people have, the less they know how to use it for good. I have no, I have no idea what you can do. Use your privilege or your platform, but do something. This is not rocket science. There's something right in front of you you can do. Just do it. And if that didn't work, go do something else and then just do something else. Um, But I'll say one thing is you can definitely get started with us if you want some help with direction. Come find us. I think once you see it, you can't unsee it. Perfect example. BJ Dunn has never asked me what to do. BJ Dunn saw a video and he just calls me back and tells me what he needs me to do. Hey, I need you to speak to these people because they're having something. We're going to get you guys. I need to listen. I need you to meet this person. He never asked a question. He's never in three years called me. And I want them to put up a statue for BJ Dunn at some point at Gettysburg because of all the things that he does. So I hope that people understand what I'm saying is that I have no idea the email you can send. I have no idea the job you can save, the program you can start. I have no idea the joke you can interrupt. You might be sitting there right next to somebody right now. So the joke at lunch tomorrow, interrupt them and tell them that's not good. We're not doing that anymore. Do that at least, but do something. Yeah. I, and I, sorry that I put you on the spot with that, but I love it. It's all good. But I'm going to tell you something that I get that question often as a mentor in the beverage industry. What can I do? And my answer is always just do. <laughs> I love it. Just do, <laughs> right. Just do. So can I add something, Bridget? Really? Please quickly? do. One of the things that we found is that a lot of times in this space, People feel like because there's not a lot of role models, like Kyle said in the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. you know, we ask that question, it stumps all we work with all the we work with Ivy Leagues, we work with Pac-12, ACC, I mean, major corporations and people freeze. And mm-hmm. it, it's, it's so interesting because they feel like I need to, to do something major and big and they don't have examples. We have examples, many, 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 many black people who are active in the civil rights movement, but there were many white people, too. Mm-hmm. It's just not talked and talked about. And so, but activism doesn't mean that you, you wrote a new policy, you did something big. Like you, Kyle said, or you said, just do. What if it's sending an email? We are right now working, UPenn alumni has sent out a message to all 300,000 of their living alumni and offered a space for a long talk. Kyle and I could not do that. We didn't have the relationship. So they have calls going on. They have one, two in the past. They have some coming up in the fall. But this this person in the alumni office said, I'm going to do, this is my thing. I'm going to make this happen. And we've had other unbelievable things because someone just said, this is what I'm going to do. Or Mm -hmm. BJ Dunn went and just set up voter registration for the student athletes on his campus. There's there's a lot of things where we see inequity. And and the, the thing is, though, progress over perfection. Don't worry about making a mistake. A lot of times when we work with outside of our community, a lot of people will come back and say, I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to say the wrong thing. If you fail nine times, Bridget, my mom was a child. Listen to Dr. King speak at the March on Washington. She was an activist all of her life. And then when she turned 40, she stopped. Hmm. Mom is 75 now. She stopped because she didn't see other white people engaging on a massive level. And not that they weren't there, but maybe some people just didn't engage. They didn't know or they were afraid of making a mistake. Our thing is, if you make a mistake nine times and get it right the 10th time, that's what my mom was looking for. And yeah. that's why you hear this passion from us because, Bridget, we would have never met you. Look at what you're doing with your platform. 
look at what you all are doing. Like I, I tell them, mom, you just didn't have Zoom. You didn't have the, there's some great people out here doing, y'all just didn't connect. And so this is the spirit, whatever space we go in, if we're talking to one person, 500 people, it does not matter because we need to understand that we can do something. The bad guy, they're just louder. They're, they're, they're in the minority. We have to activate the millions. And I don't know the number you get, how you break up, but that's a great number. When there's millions of great, a lot of great people. We just haven't connected. Yeah. And I just put this period on. I was looking at the, the viewers can't hear it, see it, but it's real simple. You drink water, love hard, fight racism. That's what you got to do. And that's shout out to mahogany mommies. That's their t-shirt. But yeah, just, just do it. Like just, just make it normal. We just have to make it normal. Once it becomes normal, that stuff gets pushed outside. Right now, the HD, the normalization is that this can exist right next to us. It might not be me, but I don't mind if my neighbor is like that. I don't mind if, nah, we got to start saying that's not cool. It's not, it's not going to work here. So yeah, just do every, do whatever you can do every day. Well, I am so happy that you both took time out of your busy day to spend with me. And I do hope that you come back because I think this is just the first chapter and a very long story that you're writing to make true change in our country. And I know that there's a lot of listeners that want to be part of that change. I know I want to be part of that change. I'm a mother, I'm a wife, I'm a friend and a mentor. And there's a lot of people that look like me that need to start stepping up and doing the work. So I just want to wish you both just, just a lot of great health as we go into the fall and winter season and just a lot of peace. Cheers to you both. Thank you for that, Bridget. I appreciate you. Cheers to you so much. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers. Cheers.